I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So if you remember my uh, fan theory from Darkness Falls was the episode with the creepy bugs, the radioactive yes. ones. Um, is that at the end of that episode, Mulder and Scully died and that this this entire series from then on is a dying dream. And um, at the end of Dudcom, I also believe that the two of them die. And then from then on, the rest of the events in the series are a dying dream. And so we are two levels deep at this point. So are, are, are you basically saying that, that Chris Carter is some sort of union synambulist uh, 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 philosophizer? Yeah, I, I, I think that we're not sure if we are Mulder dreaming that we are Scully or Tr- Scully dreaming that we are Mulder. I, I actually think that that makes a lot of sense, especially in light of Humbug. Yeah, we'll which talk gets about Humbug. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the the next episode is very weird. It makes complete sense. Yeah, we we will definitely talk about Humbug because because it is uh it, it's an interesting episode for the evolution of the X Files. But yeah, I I think that that a uh, Dodd Calm is a really a really good looking episode that that doesn't really have a lot to say, and I'm not really sure why it exists. Uh, it's another one of the Scully and Mulder and two to four other characters trapped in a location and having to just survive until help gets there. I, again, this is probably going to be a theme that recurs. It's a very easy way of creating a tense scenario, um, a way of having a villain that they can't really fight in a way, which uh, if it's something they can shoot and it's going to be – it'll be dead and they just need to find it, that's one thing. But again, they can't survive the scenario and they can't overcome the scenario in Dead Calm. They just have to endure it. Yeah, and I and I think that – Part part of the reason why I sort of I, it's not that I don't like this episode yeah. I I do like it but I just think it's kind of it's just kind of there it just kind of sits there and you know certainly it's very technically impressive I think the show is you know you can see the fact that the show is 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 getting an increased budget yeah uh, they were not going to be able to pull something like this off in the first season uh, I I think they actually filmed this on a ship of some sort and you, you know putting david duchovny and jillian anderson through this tremendous makeup is obviously going to be something that that takes time and money so you know that's all true i think but really what it comes down to is that you know this is we're getting to the the, the latter part of the second season and this is i don't know the 17th time that Mulder and scully have that that part of the reason why an episode has been so dramatic is because uh, of of putting them in some sort of of, of mortal jeopardy, and they're not going to die. Yeah. So you know Mulder's not going to die. You know Scully's not going to die. Uh, and and so what it really comes down to is is the episode interesting on its own terms? And I guess the answer is sort of. Well, going back to Tombs, the 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 monster of the week is only as good as the monster, right? And in this scenario, we've seen uh, again. This is an episode that I cannot help compare to Ice, which had all of that wonderful tense psychodrama. We had several characters. Here we we really only have – we have a very small cast and they and they're not fighting. The, the tension is not about them fighting within each other so that we don't have any of that nice tension that Ice had. Um, something like Firewalker, that uh, image of the mushroom thing poking out of their throats – was horrifying and very scary and very striking. Um, Darkness Falls, the way that the people are getting cocooned and these horrifying bugs. I mean, bugs are a 
thing that creeped me out. So it worked on that way. In this episode, they're turning to salt and they're getting very old. It's not as uh, <laughs> it's not as dramatic to me at this point. So it does feel like a bit of an undercut, and I don't think there is quite as much replacing it. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you. I mean, I think that that you're starting to see that this is the type of episode that the show is is interested in doing. And yeah, you're right. Like we've already had ice, we've had darkness falls, we've had Firewalker, and now we have Dot Calm. And so, and, and these are not the only four episodes in which Mulder and yeah. Scully are put in mortal danger. And I think that you know, leaving aside the question of could these people could could their bodies go through so much trauma all the time and, yeah. and, and still be okay? I, I think that's a question that we kind of have to just elide because it's a television show. Course, but in, in terms of Dodd Com, I mean, I think that, that in a certain sense you can see a progression, right? Because yeah. the, 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 the illness in Dodd Com, for lack of a better term, is causing symptoms that are making their own bodies really the, the, the villain of the episode yeah, yeah. and, or, or I guess the antagonist. And, it's an internal struggle. It's really that thing about, okay, well, uh, existentially, people are afraid of getting older. People are afraid of being feeble. People are afraid of dying. Those are really, really primal things to to tap into for an episode of television. But I, I, to be frank, I, I, I just don't think that the episode does it very well. And, and it's very muddled. I mean, they get older, but the show doesn't really do much with it. And... And it just seems like a gimmick for the sake of a gimmick. It's not as if these characters are dealing with fears of getting older on a daily basis yet, right? Like, they're still uh, – Scully's in her late 20s. Mulder is in his mid-30s. That's, I think, the ages they are. Something like that. So, while certainly their own mortality is – stares them in the face pretty much every week just because of the nature of their jobs it's not again getting older isn't a fear and this isn't being externalized in that i mean it was reminded it this in a way it reminds me of the episode of ds9 where bashir is getting aged in a mental projection or something like that i don't really remember it but his um it didn't seem that getting older was his fear you know right and, 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 and so it doesn't really work. This doesn't really scare them. And by extension, it doesn't really scare us as much. Yeah, I think so. Because one of the, the I mean, one of the reasons primarily, I think, why getting older would, would scare Mulder and Scully is, is less to do with, with physical feebleness and more to do yeah. with uh, losing mental faculties. And both of them, like, stay very sharp and with it until the very end of the episode. I think that, you know, if you're going to tap into fears of getting older for these two characters, I think that, uh, 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 you know, a loss of mental acuity yeah. would, would be the thing that would scare them, and the episode doesn't do anything with that. So I think the episode would have worked a lot better if it had thought about what would make these two characters actually be afraid of getting older, and I think it is that. It's not just they get ugly or whatever and yeah. it's you know it, that that's not interesting and that's not really what is uh driving the episode and i think that the episode even loses its you know it's it's narrative through line very early because they get caught on this ship and then basically it's just nothing happens and they're not really doing anything it's just again once again they they get rescued at the end because they have to get rescued at the end because otherwise there would be no television show and you know we've seen this happen in firewalker we've seen this happen in uh darkness falls 
you know, it, it even happened, uh, you know, last week or the week before with with Endgame, where where Scully showed up conveniently at the last moment to to tell the Doctor how to save Mulder's life, and so, you know, there there's a when the X Files is working, when it's firing on all cylinders, as you know, it kind of is in Humbug, kind of not. I think that the show is is really well done and is very narratively satisfying, but. A lot of times it seems to fall into a trap of there's no, we don't know how to resolve this plot, so we're just going to have a deus ex machina rescue crew show up. And that, that, that can work once or twice, but when you keep doing it, it, it really belies the question of why aren't you breaking these stories better? And the other thing for me is they could even do that deus ex machina rescue a little better i mean star trek does this all the time right like oh the ship is going to be here in 19 hours so we've got to hold on till then kind of a thing i mean even just giving us a time limit if scully says all right well i've had i'm i'm if if i'm not back within x number of hours the navy's kind of going going, coming to pick us up would at least set it set it up a little bit better i don't know maybe that would i feel like that's a small detail that would help it a little bit no, I, I actually agree with you. And I, 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 there's there's a there's a moment in the episode very early on when you know they're doing the classic in the in the X Files office, and Mulder's explaining the plot to yeah. Scully or the setup for the plot to Scully, and they actually do the exact opposite. She says, "Well, did you clear this through Skinner?" And he says, "Eh, I'll wait for another day to file my report." So that would have been a perfect yeah. opportunity to say, "Yeah, I let him know, and he's fine with it. If we don't check in in forty eight hours, he's going to send the Navy to get us." And it makes the- they. They do the exact opposite of that. So it's like, how did they even know where to go to find them? I mean, this is reminding me of Fresh Bones when, you know, again, Scully scratches her hand on the thing and she thinks nothing of it. Like, it just throws out the pieces of evidence. Like, they are doing things that people in their position with their level of intelligence and ability would not do. Like, they would leave a note. Right, exactly. They would do something. I mean, they wouldn't just ignore things or just go off into, you know, Norway and and hire a ship from a random guy that they've never done a background check on. I mean, like, there's a lot of sloppiness here. I mean, not to mention the fact, like, how can FBI agents just show up in Norway and, like, no one asks any questions? I mean, I guess they didn't tell anyone they were FBI agents, but but still, it seems a little odd. And it it, it just fundamentally speaks to sort of like a... I think yeah. that what it would really gets me about this episode is that it seems like someone came up with the idea, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Mulder and Scully were getting older and then constructed a plot around the gimmick rather than the rather than yeah. the gimmick arising naturally out of a sort of metaphorical storytelling that they wanted to tell. And we know that the X-Files can do that type of story very well. We've seen it done. I mean, beyond the sea. Um mm. At, you know, one breath, two really, really good examples of that type of storytelling that that marry the plot and sort of the the character work and the symbolism of the show. And and this episode just seems to be the exact opposite of that. And I think that's why it's so unsatisfying on a critical level, even as it's entertaining to watch. And isn't it cheap that they actually refer to the events of one breath in a way to kind of cash in on that episode's uh reputation in a way no because scully does talk about the angel nurse that was uh by her side it's nice to have that detail picked up again or again have that even in an episode like this which is just okay you get these nice moments where the things that happened happened 
Like the major events in these characters' lives are actually inform her thinking, her experience. The experiences in one breath would be psychologically transformative to Scully, and it's nice to see that she is showing incident. She's showing that she is actually feeling that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think that is one of the moments in the episode that that works really well because, it, it, in a way, it's a role reversal. It's Scully. I don't know if it's Scully necessarily trying to comfort Mulder, but in a way it is. And she's also just letting him know that she's going to be okay. I mean, these are two characters that take care of each other, but don't want to admit it or, or aren't really comfortable with it. They, they want to be very independent people. And I think separately they are, but, but when they're together, they are able to rely on each other in a real way that neither of them, I think is comfortable expressing directly Mm. Because this is a very strange relationship, yeah. and I think this episode, for nothing else, will 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 help that along, I think. Well, I do want to get back to that point in a second, but just to finish up the kind of angel nurse, there is a – I don't know. This is connecting to me in a, sec- in, in a moment because Scully does seem – Scully's talking about the faith that there is, in a way, someone looking out for them and making sure that they'll be okay. As you said earlier, uh, we know that Scully and Mulder aren't going to die at the end of this because we have we have a very literal – these two are the stars of their television show. The show is built around them, and so they are safe in a way from mortal danger. But that translates within the show to being to there being some kind of divine grace that is looking out for them. Again, the show does suggest the existence of a faith in a – third faction separate from the aliens from the FBI that is I, I I mean I don't think it's it's a stretch to say that there will be suggestions throughout the show that God is working through Mulder and Scully to stop this conspiracy in a way maybe that's a bit dramatic to, to put it but in a way Scully seems to believe some version of that I, I mean, I think that is a little dramatic. I, I don't, I don't know that that's where I would go with it, but I, I, do, I also don't necessarily disagree with that analysis. I think you could definitely make an argument for it. I, I think for me, what it comes down to is, you know, these are people that that have a very dangerous job, even if they weren't trying to yeah. uncover a, a massive. Uh, a governmental conspiracy to hide the fact of alien existence. And that is getting more and more uh, dramatic and more and more spun out as the show goes on. And we're still early days in the show. This is a show that, uh, you know, in its initial run ran for nine seasons and these were not short seasons. These were your typical yeah. 24, 22, 20 episode <laughs> seasons. So we're not talking about, you know, the, the typical 13, 10 episode seasons now uh, or six is in the case of X-Files season 10. But it is the case, I think, where you look at it and you have to say, okay, well, these are people that are are, are really tempting fate, hmm. and there there is a question of luck, I think, that runs throughout the episodes. There's a question of these people are eventually going to run out of it, and you know what is going to happen when that happens. I don't think that's an explicit. Uh, I don't think that's an explicit interest of the show, but I think it's something that runs throughout the show. I mean, we have to grapple with the fact that these people, Mulder and Scully in this episode are extraordinarily lucky and have yeah. continued to be extraordinarily lucky. Oh, yeah. Frankly. Yeah. 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 The, um, and I guess Scully's point is that one needs to believe that. Yes. Every time we're going to beat the odds again, we're going to, we're going to get lucky again, because if you kind of focus on the, you know, we have that 0.01% chance of totally fucking failing and dying and everything bad happens. 
which will come up at some point. But if you think every time is going to be that, you're destined, you're you're dooming yourself to failure in a way. I mean, it's yeah, and and there's also sort of I think in a certain sense a a recklessness that is perhaps helping them or or mm-hmm. or protecting them in a way because I think about you know Mulder obviously. Uh, I don't think Mulder necessarily cares if he dies. I think that, you know, I don't think he wants to die, but I also yeah. don't think that he's someone that interrogates his actions that much because he has this overwhelming desire to a find his sister and which has been rejuvenated after the events of, of colony and Endgame, and, and to uncover this alien conspiracy and to find out exactly what, what is going on uh, uh, in the world vis-a-vis this sort of supernatural elements. And so that's important to him. He is, he is a true believer, as we've said before, this is his calling. And Scully is not, as we see in this episode is, is okay to die. If that is what is going to happen to her because of the events of one breath. And she knows that her faith in, in God and the afterlife and heaven have been, have been renewed by her experiences with, with what happened to her in those episodes. And so, in a way, that gives them a power and that gives them a, a protection. I mean, you say they're protected by God. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think that a, a, at least Scully thinks yeah. that to some degree. And I think that's maybe what's most important mentally that is going to protect them. Well, yeah, and you know, now picking up the point that I had was going to pick up from earlier. Um, I like the scene where so Scully squeezes out this sardine water and lemon juice and just any moisture that exists in the ship and it's this disgusting horrible thing that thankfully gets broken but um I'm drinking that right now. Come on, it's delicious and very good for I you. I know you're doing a cleanse, but the listeners don't need to hear that. Um and the two of them are basically you know, discuss. You know, trying to make the case that the other should drink it. I mean, they're they're essentially saying like, no, you need this more. You need the. You know, Scully saying no, you need the water more. Without this, you'll die. We'll probably make it okay. He's saying, you know, no, I'm going to die anyway. And what a change from again. Ice was when they were very suspicious of each other. When they were. Uh, arguing and when they were you know fighting and they got through this in darkness falls and firewalker they're working as a unit and now they've moved on to the point of sacrificing for the other i mean that is a you, know, you say the progression of these episodes that that is a very dramatic thing that i am noticing here again the that development in their relationship yeah i actually think that's a really really astute point and and you're right like there is a level of trust and a and a level of respect and a level frankly i think of 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 love between yeah. the two of them uh that is really been evolving throughout the first two seasons of the show and and you know ice again we keep going back to ice because it was probably one of the you know first really classic scary episodes of the x-files it's incredibly well done and it's it's you know it's one of those x-files episodes that you know people always put in sort of top 10 top 20 lists and so it is going to be sort of an outsized presence on the show but you're right like that episode couldn't happen now they they wouldn't have turned on each other and i think that you know even to the point where neither of them were were infected in that episode so so their actions were not i mean part of the reason why they were turning on each other in that episode is because that was part of the symptoms of this uh parasite but we you know we and we didn't know that was kind of the mystery of the episode but 
they they really couldn't pull that off now because they weren't infected. But we w- I don't know think that we would really believe that they were turning on each other like that if they weren't infected. So I don't know that they could do that now. And I think you're right. Like that shows a very very strong evolution in their relationship. As a side point to this, I do want to just a line that of Mulder's that really struck me is when he's saying, you know, oh no, you should drink it. You're a woman, and there's that beat, and he says. You know, begins to list all these practical, well, you have a longer life expectancy, you can retain the water a little better. Like, he comes from a, a, a again, given the, the show doesn't always, uh, the show is still a product of its environment, and if it doesn't always treat Scully or the other female characters 100% properly, certainly in this, uh, uh, certainly it has made Scully out to be extremely careful and it uh, capable and everything. And I guess it, I don't know, it just seems like a funny subversion of the whole women and children first kind of thing. Uh, he's not pointing out to you're a woman and therefore more uh, valuable in a way, more more deserving of being protected, but just practical. Or weak. What? Or weak. Yeah, yeah. No, he's just saying like on a total practical level, if you want to... Whichever of us is going to be able to process the shitty water more efficiently, it's going to be you. I don't know. I thought that was a funny line. No, actually, I think it's it's right because, you know, uh, it's not coming from a place of you're a woman and therefore weak or you're a woman and therefore more valuable for your reproductive abilities. Yeah. I mean, we do not live in, in the Republic of Gideon from The Handmaid's Tale quite yet. Uh, but, you know, it is it, – or Gilead. I forget which one it is. I think, I think Gilligan. it's Gilead. Gilligan. There you go. The Republic of Gilligan. That would be wacky. Um that that it is the case where Mulder's saying, no, you you should drink this water because of these very practical reasons <laughs> that make you better to survive <laughs> than me. And I think that's a nice little subversion of that trope in a way. Yeah. So so maybe the last thing to mention before we move on to Humbug is uh, the character of Trondheim. Uh, he is in a long line of, of guest star assholes. And I don't really think that there's much else to say about him except that I'm kind of disappointed that the show gave no attempt to... Uh, characterize him whatsoever. I was gonna say there's him, and then there's there's the other guy who the 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 blonde dude with the longer hair, the pirate or whatever. And it's just yeah, they were just kind of there again. One of the things I liked about Ice and even liked about uh, Firewalker was you had and Darkness Falls as well. They 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 used their supporting cast. They had enough. And, and, and frankly, that's one of those horror movie things, right? You have a cast, and they slowly get picked off one by one, and oh, who's going to be next, and what's going to happen, and, you know, of course, Mulder and Scully and the killer will always be the last ones left, but uh, this, you don't really have that. You the, the characters just kind of kill each other off because of very stupid reasons, and there is no tension in the deaths in this episode. Well, yeah, and and frankly, you know, not to give too much away about the the future construction and interests of the X-Files, but in, in a certain way, I think Dodd-Calm is an episode really at war with itself, you know. You you have to have some some weird guest stars just there to be antagonists because that's what the X Files does. And you know, I think a late you know a season five version of this episode probably would have just had Mulder and Scully in a room for half an hour talking to each other. So so you have that to look forward to. Like the show is still not. It's getting more clear about what it's doing. It's yeah. getting more comfortable and more self-assured, but it's still not quite there yet. And I think that that's what this episode indicates more than anything else. I mean, I have to say, 
that phrasing, it's just Mulder and Scully in a room talking to each other, actually – I'm very excited about that because, again, in this in this episode, the scenes that I like the best when it's just Mulder and Scully dealing with it and figuring it out and trying to – and to a little degree pontificating about their situation and, and hashing things out together. Um, those are – as we've always said, that's what's good about the X-Files and I'm looking forward to most of that when they kind of trim the fat out. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Humbug then, because uh, this is a uh, very singular, interesting Mm. episode of The X-Files that is really, really historically important for the show. And I will explain why as we talk about the episode. But um, what the hell did you make of this? I – it's really funny actually. So um, I have been seeing a lot of similarities between X-Files and American Horror Story in terms of – just overarching themes, which makes a lot of sense. Um, both are dealing with uh, aspects of American life that have been turned monstrous. And what season uh, four of American Horror Story is is called Freak Show, and it's dealing with it's taking place in the in Florida in the 1950s in basically this town during the during kind of the end of that era of carnival side shows, and so this is. 40 years later. So again, similar themes, similar um, premise, similar location in in space. And so, I mean, this episode was interesting as a predecessor to that. Um, I very much liked it. I, I know that X-Files starts to get a lot of tonal shifts and can in a way be a lot of different shows. And this is a radically different sh- – this is not a – an episode that I think I would have expected during the first couple episodes of season one, and it is still pretty jarring, but at the same time, it's it's cool and it fits, and I think the show knows Mulder and Scully well, en- well enough that it's doing very well by putting them in a bizarre situation. Yeah. There, there's so many different directions that that i could go with that uh i I love this episode and i I liked it very much it made no goddamn sense but it was great right exactly and 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 so so the first thing i'll say is to your point about american horror story i i think that that's actually really interesting because i've been thinking a lot about you know the i i think a lot about the evolution of television in general because that's one of my interests and that's you know one of the reasons why we do these podcasts um, and I think that that you know, and this is kind of just spinning my wheels, but in a certain sense, I think that um, for whatever reason, the the Pacific Northwest and the early to mid '90s was this kind of massive cultural force that hmm. really kind of pushed a lot, you know, at least two different mediums in really radically different directions than what had come before. And and specifically, of course, I'm talking about the Seattle, you know, Portland Olympia music scene of the the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, that's kind of known Nirvana, you know, all those bands, Riot Girl, Mud Honey, uh, Pearl Jam, you know, all those kind of things. And and that really changed the direction of, of, of popular music for a long time. And I, I don't think the the impact of the Pacific Northwest on television is as pronounced, but I do think it's interesting mm-hmm. that that two of the most critically lauded television shows of this time period, The X Files and Twin Peaks, both were filmed in uh, both were filmed in the Pacific Northwest. And and the uh, you know Twin Peaks even took place in the Pacific Northwest. There there is a and, and as someone who lived there for a couple years uh and, and I live richard still lives there um there is a sort of heaviness and a weight to the place that is is interesting I, and I, mean, I think that that really comes through in 
in the X-Files specifically. Well, e- e- even in something as as silly as Twilight takes place in the PNW for its at- – it is a fairly atmospheric place. So yeah, uh, I-, I would say that is still felt in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and that's really a side point because, of course, Humbug takes place in Florida. Yeah. Ha ha. But, you know, Va- Vancouver doing its damnedest to look like Florida. But but I think that, that what you know, I will just I will I will preface this entire conversation by by saying uh, or, or paraphrasing a quote that that David Duchovny had about Darren Morgan. And Darren Morgan wrote this episode. He writes, I believe, three or four other episodes of the show, one of which is is probably um, a lot of people would say it's the best episode that the X-Files ever did. I don't know if I quite agree what with is that. It although called? it is Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. It's okay. the, I think, second or third episode of the third season, so so not that far okay. away. Um, he also writes another one called uh, Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so so it's, writes, these are not generic titles I will forget by the time we get back to them. Okay. <laughs> no, no. And then he writes another one called War of the Coprophages. So, wow. you know. Uh, I'm really looking and, forward and, to all of these. Okay. Yeah, and he also wrote one for the, the you know, revamped 10th season. Um, he is Glenn Morgan's brother. Okay. Um, okay. He co-wrote one episode with him. I forget which one it was. And he was a comedy writer. He was a person who wrote comedies. And uh, for whatever reason, Chris Carter, and I think this speaks to Chris Carter's hmm. skill at the X-Files more than anything else. He offered Darren Morgan a staff writer position on the X-Files. Who knows why? Uh, and and what he came up with was was Humbug. And this is the first, you know, flat out comedic episode of the X-Files. But but you can see that that a lot of the people behind the scenes were not quite comfortable with it. You know, there were apparently a lot more like a lot more flat out comedic scenes that were cut from the episode entirely because they weren't comfortable filming them. Mm. They um, they also uh, 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 you can see kind of the music cues and stuff are the same as a lot of the other episodes. But it, it is a comedy. And and David Duchovny well, said about Darren Morgan episodes that he he enjoyed them because he thought that Darren Morgan was trying to destroy the show. In a lot of ways, this is – I mean this, when you say comedy, that I – it clicked. This, I mean this is along the lines of almost like a trauma film in some ways. It's that very campy, violent, bloody uh, – I, I I mean in this what it, what is it the guy who's making the masks and listening to all of the you know weird psychobilly stuff um, Hepcat Hepcat I mean like that that's the um I I think the atmosphere of it is perfect and it's it's very it's camp in a lot of ways and yeah I I think trying to destroy X Files is actually a wonderfully perfect way of describing it it's a camp against the X Files but in a way that I, I think this is the moment when the show pr- proves that it is versatile enough to not only withstand this, but ride it and do other stuff with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the clearest, and and I think this is the clearest demarcation line between X X Files of season one and and what the X Files becomes because. You could really see the X Files just just doing the same thing for six or seven seasons and and never really uh, uh, taking off, right? And 
you know, again, we have to grapple with the fact that the X-Files was a mass critical hit. I mean, it was in the top 10 for three or four years, which is just frankly unbelievable. And and part of the reason why, of course, is the mythology stuff and people were tuning in to find out what's going yeah. on with that. But it was also that it was it was it was brilliantly experimental in, in a lot of ways. And and. Uh, you know that is not an overstatement. I mean, you, yeah. we will we haven't really seen that so far. I mean, humbug aside, that it's it's mildly experimental in terms of the form of the X Files, but there are a lot of episodes later on that are just. I mean, I don't even know what the hell they are, and it's it's amazing to watch. And I think that with with humbug specifically, you're right. Like it it expands the the palette and the storytelling abilities of the show, and. If Darren Morgan was, I think Darren Morgan understands the X Files really well, and that's why he can subvert it this well. I mean, there are jokes in the episode about there are sort of meta jokes in the episode about um, the Florida heat, uh, because of course this was not Florida. Oh yeah, <laughs> this this was Vancouver, British Columbia in the winter, um, and and it's just things like that where you realize that the guy was not trying to destroy the show because he well, he obviously liked it but just he his his interests were so different from where the show had gone before but but something about the show made him realize that it could handle this kind of thing and and that that David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson would would frankly chew the scenery and relish doing it well uh, yeah it, it, i i think prior to this episode if you if you ask people what is the X-Files about well it's you know, about these two federal agents who are dealing with this vast, you know, they're, they're, they're dealing with paranormal activity and government conspiracies and aliens and they're solving mysteries and they're trying to say one step ahead of the shadowy agencies that are. And if you ask Darren Morgan, he'd say, well, it's Mulder and Scully dealing with some really weird Americana shit. And, this is the most logical extension of really weird Americana shit that he could have come up with. And the one that is also the polar opposite of everything else we have seen so far. Um, I mean, one of the, I think, I mean, I said this episode makes no fucking sense. I mean, there is that point where uh, Mulder has that one line where he says like, well, you're a medical doctor. So if you say, you know, if you say this is how this can be, then I, I, I accept that. But you can tell that he's like, for everything I've ever heard, this makes no fucking sense. And you know as well as I do, this makes no fucking sense. But we just have to run with this because at this point we have – we've given up on realism because it doesn't really matter as much. Right, exactly. I mean, this is a this is an extremely surrealistic episode, and you know we have we have criticized the show before for episodes where Mulder and Scully are just there for the ride and, and don't have anything to do. But it works for this episode. I mean, they don't really do anything. Yeah. They they don't solve the mystery. Uh, they kind of just go from place to place, cracking jokes and and talking to these these uh, sideshow people, and it all works because it is a subversion of the entire structure of the show well i mean there's that really great moment when she goes to the museum and he's like oh well you know for special people you know we can tell you something really secret and she opens the box it's the exit and she realized she's been suckered and you know he's talking about you know there's a lot of talk about you know pt barnum's genius was that people would be entertained it didn't really fucking matter if this stuff was real or not they they had a great time, and I mean, that's what this episode is. You see a bunch of acts, nothing 
you know, you don't figure out anything. You don't, they don't, they don't come up with any clear answers, but we had a hell of a time along the way. Well, I, 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 but even more deeply than that, I, I think the scene where, where Scully is getting suckered essentially yeah. into looking at an empty box and then the exit door opens, isn't that a perfect visual representation of, of a classic X-Files plot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we, we get this, this we're, we're promised this mystery, they kind of figure it out, but don't really, and then the episode ends. And and that's what the X-Files does at its best. And and I think yeah. that's just so brilliant that, that Darren Morgan was able to sneak that into this episode. He he is really poking fun at the show. I mean, let's not uh, uh, oh, yeah. discount that. But, but he also likes the show. Uh, it's paying his bills, of course. And and I think again he's able to recognize that that the show is able to handle this and that it's going to be interesting for people to watch. Um, and I, you know, talking about the the circus for a minute, you know, part of the thing that I think works really well for this episode as well, of course, is that everyone in the episode is very well cast. Hmm. But you get a real strong sense of place, and you get a real strong sense of who these people are, even though they're just kind of you know bizarre uh, character sketches. But you know, I think people don't realize how much of a mass entertainment phenomenon the circus was. Yeah. Uh, that was really like before movies. That was the 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 most mass entertainment that that existed. That was sort of the mass media in a way of of the you know late nineteenth and early twentieth centuries. And you know that is almost completely gone now. No one goes to the circus anymore, and if they do, it's they take their kids, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and it's more, and, and and so it's it's more acrobatic Cirque du Soleil kind of things rather than the traditional. I mean, for obvious reasons, the classic freak show has fallen out of fashion. Uh, we have reality yes. TV now for that. Um, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, it's also interesting, just as an aside, that that we talked about the the Voyager episode, The Thaw, this week on on Trek about, mm. and that also had uh, Cirque du Soleil performers in it. And it was a very sort of carnival atmosphere. It's kind of weird how these match up sometimes. But um, yeah, like you're right. Like the the circus stuff is really interesting because you're it, it as you said it taps into a, a very sort of classic Americana that the show is more and more getting interested in and and kind of examining like what you know to be very sort of blunt about it like what is America what is this place and it's asking strange questions about it. I don't think it really comes to any conclusions or answers, yeah. but. It, it kind of says, well, America is is weird, and we don't really know what we're going to do with it. <laughs> um, I, there's that one monologue that the um, guy with the conjoined twin brother that the murderer is having, uh, when he's saying, oh, the... I, the Michael Anderson character who's managing the hotel, you know, he has this great monologue with, oh, you're seeing me and you're just assuming, you know, what I am ba- and my life based on, and very rightfully so, you know, he's he's a hotel manager. That's what he does and what he wants to do. And, you know, the Lenny, whatever is Larry, what was his name? I think Larry. Larry. And Michael Anderson was in Twin Peaks as yes. well, right? Yeah. Um, and in Carnival. So basically he is the go-to when you're doing a weird, uh, carnival show. Um, and he's saying, you know, I used to, I was a headliner. All I had to do was stand there and occasionally answer a question, but the manager told me it was beneath my dignity. Now I carry luggage for people. And I, one of the major, one of the big themes that, that, is dealt with in the American Horror Story Freak Show and is generally talked about when you're talking about the classic freak show circuit is that these were this is the ambiguity between this being one of the few places that 
somebody with a condition like this could earn a living and could be and find a community around people with uh, similar issues and where they would not be completely ostracized from society, a way of taking control of one's situation, as it were, at the same time still displaying oneself as a, as, as an oddity, as something uh, different. But I think that dovetails with uh, the doctor's speech at the end of the uh, episode where he's saying, you know, oh, this is the future. You know, he's he's calling everybody fascist the entire episode. Uh, but at the end, that's, I think, kind of kind of given some, some weight to it when he's saying – saying the wave of the future is this is medicine's gonna take care of all of this you know this will be eventually dealt with and then eventually we're gonna get even further i mean and then there will be no freaks left but you know nature always finds a way of creating some kind of mutation and then there will be as he says the self-made freaks the people who are otherwise normal and yet going living in such extremes just as a way of revolution against uh a conformist society, and that I think dovetails very nicely with the overarching themes of the series, which is that some technology has too high of a price for it. Some uh, pe- people should have the right. To, uh, if the truth is out there, people have a right to it. It is not the job of a repressive government to decide what or what is not truth. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's all right. And you know what? What that makes me think as well is sort of the ways in which this episode plays around with with gays and with gays as in G-A-Z, okay. not gays like me and Richard, uh, that, that you know, look at the ways in which the, the episode sort of, again, at the, at the very beginning, it subverts your expectations because we think that the children are being stalked by this monster and it turns out to be their father. I mean, that's kind yeah. of turning the X-Files on its head. That's turning the gays on its head. But then look at things like, Mulder and Scully are the oddities in this episode, and the episode makes that clear. Uh, the Michael Anderson character, you know, keep re- keeps referencing the fact that that David Duchovny looks like he just, you know, walked out of a Sears catalog. Yeah. Um, you know, he is a classically American, very tall, very fit, very handsome in a very generic way, uh, FBI agent who dresses very conservatively. Uh, Scully is a woman. People will judge her for that yeah. based on that reason. Uh, I mean, the the scene where uh, uh, Larry goes to her trailer to to let, get her to come out to the the second murder is interesting because you've got that mirroring of her her um her oh, yeah. uh, uh, a robe the... falling open and her breast. That's that's something that I don't think we've ever <laughs> really. Scully has never been sexualized in that sort of female gaze way. Before. Oh, in the pilot. Uh, Maybe Vaguely. a little bit, yeah, that's true. And I think but, stretch when she's bathing, but they they dispensed of that very quickly. Yes, um, but but then it it's also subverted as well because his robe is falling yeah. open, and they both realize that they're looking at each <laughs> other. And so it's the ways in which people kind of place each other in boxes, and and what is you know, like you said, like what is weird, what is nonconformist, what is conformist. You know, these are questions that the show is playing with. And it seems to be saying that it's all about context. Yeah, uh, there's that scene when they're digging up what turns out to be a potato, uh, and halfway through, uh, Scully stops and she's like, "This is basically the same thing as where uh, assuming guilt based on skin color, right? Like they both are realizing, yeah, where w- it's not necessarily 
what they do, they can justify themselves using any, I mean, she's even started, she even does that bullshit. Well, law enforcement have, you know, been known to be serial killers and stuff like that. Like, she can come up with rationalizations for doing what they're doing, but at the end of the day, they have to be honest with themselves. These people are not quote unquote normal, and so they're very suspicious of them. I mean, the first thing that Skelly says when she, uh, sees the photo of the dead guy is, you know, imagine going through life looking like that. And she's not saying it necessarily out of compassion, out of feeling like, oh my God, what what must his lot of life have been? Which frankly, his lot in life seems to have been very good. He was an extremely well-respected performer. He had a wife and family. Like he was doing all right. Uh, it's said more as in, oh my God, he looked like that and he lived. It's it's yeah, with, yeah. which especially for a doctor like Scully who has seen some really outre stuff by this point is a fairly extreme statement, and yet, I mean, it it certainly fits the episode's point. There are things as 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 progressive and open minded and tolerant and loving as a person wants to be, they will always be challenged. There will always be things that are challenging. And I think the, I think the, 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 the goal is to at least recognize that and to understand and attempt to overcome that. And yeah, no, yeah. I think this episode is about Mulder and Scully realizing, you know, there are some things that weird even us out and it's kind of shitty. Right. Exactly. Because I, <laughs> I think that fundamentally, you know, this episode is about the X-Files in mm. a way. You know, this this is the first episode of the show that is really sort of uh, uh, self-analyzing the show. And yeah. I don't know that it's coming across that well, frankly. You know, I think that there is an element of judgment that, that Mulder and Scully have always had. And, Whoa. you know, certainly the show is is priding itself on an open mind. Mulder is the one who spins all these crazy theories. Scully is more of the, the, the rational scientist who doesn't necessarily believe these things. And in this episode, they kind of dispense with all of that. I mean, there's no real theorizing. They have this weird Fiji mermaid thing running through the episode. But, you know, that's more, again, of a meta joke on the X-Files more than anything yeah. else. But but it is the case, you're right. Like, I mean, fundamentally speaking, you know, would you rather have the life of the alligator man or would you rather have the life of Mulder? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, uh, uh. he's the the alligator man seemed like he like you said, he was having a pretty damn good life. He had a family, he, he had, had a kids, pool, he had a good job, <laughs> he had friends, he had a pool, he was respected. I mean, unfortunately he got killed by a, you know, uh, evil Siamese twin. But um Scully is or, or Mulder is kind of like a, a deeply unsatisfied, unhappy person who uh, doesn't have a family, doesn't really have any friends. And his career is, is you know, hanging on by a thread and he's not respected by any of his peers. So, yeah. you know, it, it's the kind of thing where you look at it and you say, huh, OK, <laughs> what, what's this episode really doing? here?" Well, and I also, again, that nature always find, you know, nature hates normality or whatever the line was. Um I, one of the premises of the X-Files is that stuff like The Host or Eugene Toombs or whatever, uh, something normal that had something aber- had some kind of aberrant mu- mutation to it, and it turned into this monster. And we can feel very sorry for this. And we can feel like, oh, it wasn't Toombs' fault that he was born this way. He is monstrous. He preys on people. But And, you know, maybe, the, maybe Toombs isn't the best example because the show goes out of its w- – but no, this is actually I, – I think this is an important progression because Tombs is flat-out evil. It's totally 
evil a lot. He's totally evil aligned on the D and D grid. Uh, he is associated with the evil of the Holocaust. He is a mutation that is horrible, and the death of Eugene Tombs is the end of this curse of death that has been going on. Um, something like the host is just a creature that has unfortunately developed this way and is killing to survive, but is just wholly neutral, does not seem to be, you know, we can't hate it. Um, we can, well, not, not, I mean, not even that it's, it's, it's not even that it's really killing. I mean, the, the, the brother Larry says that it doesn't even know, yeah. probably doesn't even know what it's doing. And that, fundamentally what it comes down to is is a is a family spat yeah like they're, they're you know i mean larry is is lonely and and his only uh family member that is literally attached to him has you know is is going off and trying to find another brother as he puts it and and you know it, it, there's something profoundly yeah. sad about that yeah um but i guess the 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 nature hates normality is at the end that is is trying to find an amount of there is an amount of defiant pride in you know being being a mutation is does not necessarily make one a monster it makes one outside society but society may not be the greatest thing especially if it's trying to stamp out whatever is outside of it and again yeah. going with the larger theme this government has you know, there there are factions within the government that want extreme control of what is and what is not truth and it is willing to do some pretty terrible things in order to get that be being its way that is not necessarily the side of good yeah yeah and and i guess i mean you know leaving all that aside for a moment um i think maybe the the you know we've talked a lot about how this episode is really good and i think maybe the only criticism you, you can really make of this episode is that uh, it, it it doesn't completely commit and it doesn't quite go far enough. It's not completely self-assured. And, and you know, I would like to see the original script for the episode. I, I've never read it. Um, I think that, that if everyone had been comfortable with this episode, uh, it, it may have been even better. You know, I certainly don't want to say that this is like a, a perfect episode of television. It's not. Uh, it is definitely you can definitely see instances where the the behind the scenes creative decisions are sort of at war with themselves and they weren't entirely convinced this was going to work. But, you know, to their credit, they they made it. And this was a very, very pivotal moment for the show. Yeah. Again, I, I if but if this is the beginnings of a of a shift in tone that gets as you said, later on will be done more show. Like, I'm really curious to see his next episode when everyone's like, okay, that worked. Let's, let's hew closer to the original concept. Uh, you know, I, I'll just, I'll just put it to you this way. Uh, there's an episode coming up in, in a few seasons that, that feature uh, heavy guest star appearances from Ed Asner and Lily Tomlin. Okay. So, okay. You know, just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> take, take, take that as you will. I'm ready. I really thought Scully eating the cricket was badass, but uh, I think that's probably the most badass thing she's done on the show, if and if it was just a trick. Well, Scully didn't eat it, but Jillian Anderson did. Really? Yeah. Well, she didn't swallow it, but apparently she definitely huh. chewed it. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, I could picture Scully even saying, listen, this is disgusting, but it's protein and won't kill me or make me sick. So, you know fuck you i've done do you know what i've done in the over the course of this show eating a cricket is nothing that that i think is is the the shot and the moment and the creative decision where 
you know, aside from everything else that the episode has done very well so far, that that moment is just like, oh, OK, this this show has become something extremely different right now. <laughs> I'm liking it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Tuning In. If you have any thoughts that you would like to share, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at tuninginshow.com. You can check out our other podcast, Trekabout, at trekaboutshow.com. We are talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes, The Thaw and Tuvix this week. And you can also check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, if you would like to give the show some financial support. It is very much appreciated, and uh, we can use our money for other things like food and rent. Social media, we are there. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tuning In Show is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Tuning In. It has been a long time since we've gotten one, and we would like to get one now that we are getting through the X-Files. Next week, we're going to be talking about the X-Files episodes, The Kalusari and F. Emasculata. What is with these names? Just like... Dude, come. I mean, it's the same as English. I mean, you, this really, that episode really did remind me that Norwegian is just English with a funny voice. Yes. You mean, you. This is Mac. Why do you.